As you're turning in your copy of Scripture to 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be going through verse 13 through 25. I do have an announcement I'd like to share with you. There will be a memorial service today at 3 o'clock for Rose Fricky. Rose is a longtime member of Tomoka, and that will be here today at 3 p.m., so you can mark that on your calendars. Okay, remember that we're going through 1 Peter, and the essence of everything that Peter is saying, he's saying remember. There are always things that we need to, to bring to our mind. A lot of times when we face a conflict that maybe we weren't expecting, and, and at first it hits us, we don't know what we're going to do with it, then we begin to remember the other times in your life that you have faced an adversity. And regardless of what it is in life that you face, I want you to understand that there are, there's no such thing as a large challenge or small. To the person, it is always big and it's always real. Because I believe we have an evil one who will focus us that on that. I saw a little thing the other day. It said, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You have to change it before you can go anywhere. And we have an enemy who attacks our mind. All kind of twists and turns. And one of them is that we need to remember we're accountable. We're accountable. If you were to write a recipe for a lawless society, the first ingredient would be a lack of accountability. And you and I have lived long enough that we have seen how accountability has seemed to be drifted. People are offended when you hold them accountable. And accountability is actually one of the main growths in our life. When we place ourselves under accountability, the first place we are accountable is to our parents. In fact, the first promise with, uh, first command with a promise was honor your father and your mother that your days would be long upon the earth. Now, I've heard the argument, well, you don't know my mother and father. Here's the problem of that issue. What they're talking about is that position as a parent. And this morning, I'm going to give you, if you've had bad parents or you're listening online and you're not exactly proud, we honor the position. Most of my life uh, in ministry, I was bivocational. I was in management. And as I would go from one new place to another, I would call all of my staff into my office. And I'd stand beside my desk and I would point to my chair. And I would say to them this, from this moment on, you will respect that chair. Because that chair represents the manager, the direction, the one you are accountable to. And then as I sat in that chair, I told them, 
As time goes on, I will earn your respect. But right from the get-go, what comes from the chair is the law, and you're accountable to it. This morning's passage has rubbed a lot of people in the last several years. In fact, I've had some, probably some of the most heated arguments with Christians that I've ever had over a passage of Scripture. But we're, but I'm unafraid. Okay, I started ministry with a full head of hair, and uh, you know, it's just getting easier to control every day. So we're going to dive into this Scripture, and uh, but I want you to remember, you're accountable. We're accountable to each other. I'm accountable to you in the stewardship of my study as I come to, to talk to you each week. But most of all, in every realm of our life, no matter what it is, we're accountable to God. So let's read First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit, be subject to, be accountable yourselves Why? For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will, God's will, that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of the believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your master with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he hurled, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself wore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Whenever we begin to talk about government institutions within this last eight to ten years, people's air comes out. Even Christians. But let me, let me read a passage of scripture, uh, that the apostle Paul penned. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, First of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, 
intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of his will. When I say to you that you are subject and accountable to every governing agent from Washington down to the local area, I don't care how you feel about who's in office. Why don't I care? It's because the Bible doesn't care. Bible strictly says to us, we are accountable. Not only that, and this is where the sticky point came many times, you are to pray for those that are over you. We are to offer prayers to those that we like and those that we don't like. Now you say, that's hard to do. But I want to remind you of the times when these passages were written. In the time of Paul and Peter, they were under Roman authority that lived to persecute Christians. In fact, both would be uh, killed by the governments. The very government agencies that Paul and Peter said to us we are subject to. We should pray for. I told one individual when he challenged me on praying for, I said, your hang up is the word for. Praying for someone doesn't mean you're asking God to bless their actions. When we live in an unjust society with unjust, immoral leaders, when we pray for them, we pray that God's hand would be on them. We pray that God would bring convicting fire every time they bring up and act in an immoral way. And when we fail to pray for our leaders, again, from Washington to even what's going on today, people going and voting, that's very, very important. But we need to pray. And when we don't pray, I think God gives us what we deserve. People stubbornly. Refuse to pray for people who are outside their party, who are outside their liking, their immorality. We have a great responsibility because the psalmist, the psalmist tells us that the neck or the head of the king is in the hand of God. And we need to be able to do that. Now, why? See, we're Christians of the world and under civil law and authority. Uh, God's people are to live in a humble, submissive way in the midst of hostility, godliness, and a slandering society. The, although you say to me, well, Philippians tw- uh, 2.20 or uh, 3.20 says that we are citizens of heaven. We are. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and one day we will return there. But I ask you to recall the words that the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah said to the people of Israel that were in bondage. God said to them, I want you to go there and build houses. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to farm. I want you to be a blessing to the land. I want you to pray for the authorities that's over you. While you're there, be the best you can be. 
And today, as you look at the world being as disgusted as I am, what is missing from our world is the actual movement and lifestyle of humble people who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will stand. You say to me, well, preacher, what about all of these unjust laws? What if the government makes a law that is contrary to God's word? Well, that's covered in, uh, excuse me, in Acts 4, 19. Okay, Acts 4, 19 and 5, 20. Here we go. Not on the screen. Let me read it to you. Basically, when Peter was challenged for preaching, he was brought before the Sanhedrin. The first time when he brought before them, they were told that they had to stop. Peter's request, reply to them was simple. It doesn't matter what you think. You can think anything you like. But as for me, as for me, We can only do what God has told us to do. The next time, under the threat of a jail sentence, said we must obey God rather than man. And you see, that doesn't mean that when there is an unjust law, that we have to follow that law. If it is immoral, you stand on the word of God, place yourself in the hands of God as you stand for him and entrust God like Peter did, like Paul did. The early examples of people who changed the world, they didn't go about in a, in a, in a demonstrative type of way. They didn't use the online to tweet and to send things on Facebook. They just simply said, I can't help what you're saying. It's immoral. I will not follow it. But we are still under the law. Uh, I was reminded of something. Now, you may not like this example, and that's okay. One of the most egregious laws on the books was is there was a difference between black and white. Y'all, we, we came up through this period of time. There was a man that came along called Martin Luther King. He had a strategy. It wasn't like the Black Panthers. It wasn't like Malcolm X. He simply stood and walked in peace and brought more notoriety on injustice than all of the mobs that we're seeing today. You see, the problem is we're living in a time. uh, We need to realize that uh, we've just gone through a traumatic period of time. And and out of this traumatic period of time we've been living in, uh, some of the most major unrest I've ever seen in our country. I'm going to have some quotes that I'm going to use from a, a man called John Eldridge. He's written many, many books. I suggest if you want to have some personal devotion time, John Eldridge is a Christian author, and they're great. But he pointed out something to me. Camels have an Achilles heel. Now, that's weird, isn't it? I want to get your attention. Uh, Camels have an Achilles heel. They're called the ships of the desert. We go to Egypt, take people to the pyramids, 
And there's a camel. You can ride them if you want to. And a lot of people ride that camel. They get their picture taken. They put it on Facebook. These are remarkable animals. They can go for time after time after time over long, long journeys in the desert carrying packs. And while the men that are walking with them must have water to survive, the camels continue to go and you think they are indestructible. But here's the Achilles heel. One day, when you think everything's good, that camel will slump to the ground and die without any notice. You know, a horse lathers up and begins to breathe hard. And you say, well, my horse is getting this way. The camel shows no signs of exhaustion or anything else. He just simply dies. Human souls, we hide an Achilles heel. We have an astonishing capacity to face calamity after calamity after calamity. We rally and we rally and we rally until there's a time without warning. Your spirit simply says, I'm done. I've had all I want. And after that, depression, blankness of soul and discouragement comes in. Why am I mentioning this? In my study, as I was studying this passage, the emphasis on this, again, was our accountability. And remember, when we entered the COVID period, beginning in 2020, I believe people got wore out by the madness of life. We need to realize trauma takes a toll. And I don't think the average person's realized that for the last two years, we've gone through a traumatic experience. Two years ago, I got off the, my airplane and I came home. I got home on a Friday and I had a call from the local sheriff saying, there's a pandemic, we're shutting everything down, I suggest you shut your church down. Well, I prayed about it and we met the next morning. During that period of time, we see things shut down, shut down, shut down. People were told to go home. Don't go outside your door. I've ridden in a road and seen someone in a car by themselves with a mask on. That comes from fear and uncertainty. The news was misinformation. The government had no idea what was going on. And they just kind of went day to day like the seat of their pants, putting out one warning after another. And after two years of warning people. We've come out of it in a trauma. I don't know about you, but I had to make decisions during that period of time as a person with a family, as a pastor, that I never had to make before. There wasn't a book that you could turn into. But the toll of a heaviness. Snuffy Smith. I don't know if y'all remember the, the comics. Y'all remember Snuffy? He was a great, great, great uncle of mine. <laughs> Not really. Uh, there was a guy named Joe Blixmick. And, and old Joe, you knew him because everywhere he went, he had this black cloud hanging over his head. That's where we are. I hear this time and time again. Pastor, I want my life back. I want things like it was before. I can't hardly remember what it was like before. Because the times have changed. 
Now what's happened? Well, the restrictions have kind of lifted. You can go on a vacation, go into a hotel. I remember our, a trip into Egypt during the quarantine. We were the only people other than Egyptians that was there. And we had to hunt a restaurant, uh, a hotel. I mean, it was barren. But it was almost like this. When things begin to go over, even things, because things are open, I find that so many people are still hiding. A lot of people are afraid to come out. And on the flip side of that, I see people in their pursuit. It's like uh, that old song, Who Let the Dogs Out? I mean, people are going after the same stuff that made them miserable before the pandemic, thinking that that's going to fill their life. And so all restraint is gone. Mob rule runs. We have city after city. I would rather go anywhere in the Middle East and walk by myself down the street than I had to go to a lot of cities in the United States. Because mob rules, they're, they're unrestrained. They have no accountability. They just, whatever they feel like, they go. You and I are caught up in that. Because that will put a cloud over us. So what do we do? When the children of Israel were traveling in the desert, their greatest concern, most of their arguments, came after water. Where am I going to get water? And we read even last week that Christ was that rock, that water that followed them through the desert. And so I think what is driving people today is the same thing that drove us before the pandemic. Thirst. I said, preacher, I'm not thirsty. I don't want any water. Well, thirst, I, I wrote down the, thirst is a strong craving and an e- eager desire. And so you, a lot of times we want to use the word lust or something, but I think thirst. We're thirsting for something to give us hope. We're thirsting for something to fill our life. We're thirsting for something that lasts, something that's unchangeable, something we can depend on, the stability. We hunger and we thirst for that. But Satan will send us on all kinds of directions. The easy payment plan, the credit cards, just buy this and you'll be happy. I've had a boat and a horse and I had two happy days. The day I bought it and the day I sold it. In between times, they didn't fill me. I was filling them. Gasoline, upkeep, oats. But yet we pursue that because here's what we're saying. The next thing I get is going to bring fulfillment in my heart. And you see, we were created, every one of us, with an empty spot in our heart and in our soul that cannot be filled any other way than God. Every day we prove this in what we pursue in life. It's very easy. Check the, 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 the log in your checkbook. Read your credit card statement. What are you thirsting for? Where are you going in order to be filled? How are you sustaining it? You know, when you get real, real thirsty, you can drink a Coke and you'll be thirsty exactly when it's over. Because nothing, nothing fills the thirst 
like cold, clear water. We have an answer for that. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to promise you, according to scriptures, it's not wrong to have a horse or a boat. It's not wrong on any of the things that you may pursue and buy. Okay? But if you're looking for fulfillment, there is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. Because every calamity we have faced, every challenge in life, though it looks bleak and dark, as a child of God, we have this understanding that we are not alone. You know, no doubt there's still people watching online, and I thank God, because they don't want to come out. They don't want to face an uncertain life. Listen, life is not worth living without Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment. He fills us with this water, with this presence. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, when we're in the dark, when Christ is there, we're not really in the dark. And you know why? Christ is light. Darkness cannot exist where light exists. And so that darkness that you see that may be out there, you have the light of the Savior of the world that walks with us every day. We have his spirit. We have that emptiness, that thirst, that drive to pursue, to pursue, to pursue, only to come up empty. Look at Revelation 22, 1 and 2. The angel showed me a, a river of water, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street in that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for healing of the nations. The water, isn't that a beautiful visit? One day we're going to see that river. I like to, I can't wait to see the things that has been written about heaven come to life and really see them in purpose. But this morning when you sit there and you say, preacher, that's real good. That's when we're all in heaven. What am I going to do now? You see, that's the question. And Christ never gives us pie in the sky by and by. His word is here. And now, John chapter 7 has these words. And on the last day of the great feast, just hold it right there. This is the last day of the seven-day feast. And prior to Jerusalem, a tradition came. The priest with a golden cup, a, a golden goblet, would go to the, the pool of Shalom. And they would get that water. And then they would parade back through the streets around in the temple, and they would quote uh, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy we draw salvation. This was going on while Jesus stood. And on that last day of the great feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him, within him. Within him. Your peace, your tranquility, your rock, your steadiness does not come from outside. You can pursue until like the great camel, you collapse. What? Where we get our living water, the substance is from within. From within us. Rivers of living water are constantly flowing. Do you you realize what that means? You will never ever thirst again. You, it is, Jesus was trying to get the attention of people that in all the formalities and in all the traditions, they were empty because at the end of that ceremony, they simply poured the water out. And they'd have to wait until the next feast. But the salvation of Jesus Christ is available. And when he comes into his life, he begins a regeneration process that will help us face every calamity, every problem in life, including living in an immoral society with unjust government. You see, people have done it before. But the problem is we in the United States, we kind, of, uh, kind of got wimpy. Uh, you think of the great pioneers, looked at a map and said something's on the west coast. They didn't know what it was. They didn't even know how to get there. They didn't have a GPS. They just started going. And as they grew, the United States grew. We as Christian people are pioneers. We're afraid to go where we've never gone, to experience what we've never experienced. Because in us, Providing for us is a stream of consistent living waters. In Ezekiel 47, streams of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. And where the river flows, everything lives. Have thought about that? I use Egypt all the time as an example, but it's a great example. If you look at the topography of Egypt, it's brown, except right where the Nile flows. And right next to the Nile, and where they can dig off tributaries, it's beautiful and green. Because where the river flows, you live. And you see, that's how we live. In this life, as citizens of heaven, being accountable, giving an example to people who are floundering. Listen, those mobs, those demonstrators, those people that want to defund the police, the, the people that are, that are out there, I mean, they're just crazies. And the problem is they have no substance of hope because everything they think If this changes, this will make it better. And I'm afraid to say that so many times we as Christians, we live with that same type of thought. If this will just change. We change partners here all the time. I've fallen out of love with my husband or wife. Then I have fallen in love with someone else. 
And so when that person gets a little older, maybe don't look as good, or somebody else comes along, all of a sudden you go falling out and falling in. So we live our life either in or out and nothing ever satisfies because we just think that next person, that next person. We're going to have a Marriage Matters Conference September 23rd. And one thing it's going to do is just help you appreciate who you are, who God has given you. And I I hope you'll be a part of that. John 4, 14. This is the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. Uh, he went to, to get water, and he asked her, said, give me some water. And she said, uh, you don't have anything to draw water with. Jesus said, I'm talking about a living water. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. And she went on to, he went on to explain to her that the one that she lived with wasn't even her husband. Now the gist of the story was this. Here's a Samaritan woman in sin going to a well to get water to survive. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water and I would give it to you. She said, sir, give me this water. And you see, the message for us today is simply this. In the world that we live in, trying to come through this, I want to tell you something. You will. It's time we stop living in fear. It's time we realize that things that we go through actually makes us stronger on the other side. Realize that we have Jesus Christ with us an ever-flowing water that kind of tempers our thirst, and we realize that until we are satisfied inward, we will never be satisfied outward. Christ is the only satisfaction we have. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior and Lord? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about the type of relationship that no matter what you face, you know Christ is with you and that you know that his will is perfect and that you're walking in his will. If you've never experienced Christ or you've never responded to that call, today is that day. If you're online listening to me, there is a tab that says, I have decided. All you need to do is hit that tab. Ask for prayer. Ask for an appointment. Come here. And and we will arrange to talk to you. If you're here this morning, I'll be right over here. To you who are Christians, I have a very simple, simple message. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid to immerse yourself in life. The monks did us a great service. They recorded scripture. But personally, they never, ever were able to contact anybody one-on-one. I urge you to come out of your house. Don't be afraid to live life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and a life that you have to the full right now. Maybe this morning you need to enlarge 
and prayer. Get rid of some things and start other searches. I ask you to respond however God is leading you. Fathers, we come to you today. We bless you and we praise you. We ask that your word as it goes forth will accomplish everything that you have set it out to accomplish. That for your glory and praise, Father, we may be a people who never thirst again. In Jesus' name, amen.